You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. I'm glad to be with you, and I, uh, I hope that you are having a good day already. I know I am. My day started um, before I went to sleep last night. Because I'm a Penn State fan, and uh, if you're not a pay, if you don't care what happened, I don't care. I'm going to gloat a little bit. I have my Penn State Nittany line here that says, "Did you get that?" There you go. That's our fight song, and I'm all excited because they won the Big Ten championship last night. So yay, Penn State! It's been a long road back, and I'm glad they're doing well. I used to live up there. I'm a Penn Stater. We got some other Penn Staters back here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you stay up for that game? Did you watch it? Yeah, of course. You got to. So um, I didn't come here to preach about Penn State. I came here to preach on our series, Divine Intervention. This is our Advent series. We're talking about bold faith in a God that shows up because Christmas is when God showed up, right? We talked last week about God showing up at the very beginning in our brokenness, in Adam and Eve's brokenness. We'll talk next week about God showing up in our barrenness with uh, Zechariah and, and, and um, Elizabeth. And then we'll talk about Joseph and Mary and God showing up in our faithfulness. But today I want to take a story, another one from the Hebrew Scriptures where God showed up to a couple that, uh, well, they were a bit surprised that God showed up because they'd given up on God. Anybody here ever give up on God? You thought God was never going to come through for you? And then here's a story where God even comes through for these people in their restlessness. We're talking about Abraham and Sarah. If you have your scriptures, you can turn there to uh, Genesis chapter 18. But we're talking in this series about these God moments. I I believe that God is transcendent. That's a big word, but, but I believe that God still intervenes in the affairs of humanity. I think that, that God who created us in his image, God who breathed the breath of life into you and into me, cares about us. He still cares about you, and he intends for you to fulfill the destiny that God has for you. And part of that destiny is when God shows up in our lives. And you've probably had those moments where you just step back and you say, whoa, that was a God thing. You know, it might have been you, you, you broke down on the side of a road and a stranger shows up and he has exactly what you need to be able to help you out in your time of need. Maybe it was a chance encounter with an old acquaintance and you hadn't seen for years and you have this, this connection and maybe the conversation ends with a prayer and a restored relationship with that person. Um, you know, we have these God moments. You're thinking about somebody and all of a sudden the phone rings and they call you up. Um, I, I, I think we look at those as coincidences and, and I maybe, maybe I'm a little too spiritual, but I think maybe those are God incidences, right? Those moments when you have this experience and it's like God just is winking at you to let you know that he's still around. He's still in control. Um, But what if we believe that every moment was a God moment, whether we felt it or not? What if when we come together like this on a morning where we're coming to worship God and we gather together, that we actually really believe that God was here in this place and that even right now this morning could be a God moment for you? 
And if God was here in this place, in this moment, maybe God wants you to hear or experience something that you weren't expecting so that when you walk out of here this morning, something's different about you because you had this transcendent interaction with the Holy Spirit who we believe is here in a very present way. And I think if we looked at every moment as potential God moments that God ordained for you to be there in that moment, that I think we would experience a whole lot more of those things. And I think we over-spiritualize God moments. I think there are very ordinary moments that God is in sometimes that we don't realize. Because I think we entertain angels unaware sometimes, and that's the thing that we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to look at a couple who had given up all hope And when they least expected it, they entertained angels unaware. And God intervened in their lives in a most unusual way and brought laughter into their world. Brought laughter into their life. And so really as a team, as a staff, we're praying over this Advent season that there would be moments in your life where God would intervene. And so maybe I should step back and just ask the question, what are you praying for? Or where are you praying for God to intervene in your life? Where do you need God to intervene in your world? Where's the restlessness inside of you that you just need God to just show up in? And that's that's what I want to talk about this morning. Genesis chapter 18. The story begins there by saying, The Lord appeared again to Abraham. Again, so it wasn't the first time. Though he was never, you know, in this moment, I think that uh, he didn't know it was the Lord, obviously. It was these three strangers. But it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. Now, these were nomadic people. So they live in tents. And he's finding in this, the heat of the day, a place under a tree where he can find some shade And Abraham's sitting there, and he looked up, and he noticed three men standing nearby. And what did he do? He he saw them, and he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. Now, at first glance, that doesn't look unusual when you realize this man at this time is 99 years old. I don't believe he ran very quickly, and I don't exactly know how low he could bow to the ground at 99. But that's an important point, believe it or not. So he's 99 years old. He's resting in his hammock at the entrance of his tent that was pitched in the shade of these trees when these three strangers show up. And he jumps up to greet them. And he begins to show them this incredible hospitality because they're travelers. And as was customary in Near Eastern culture, Middle Eastern culture, when a stranger shows up, you show extravagant hospitality to them because you never know when someday you will be a stranger and you will need hospitality. And that's what he does. He gets up and he begins to extend this hospitality to them. Abraham, by this time, he's 99, as I said, he was a wealthy man. He had invested wisely in land and agriculture and and livestock. And his family consisted of his young 90-year-old wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, who he always felt responsible for and wanted to take care of. 
He had a lot of laborers and servants to work the land and work the animals. And oh yeah, he had another son named Ishmael at that time. But it wasn't to his wife, Sarah. It was to his wife's servant, Hagar. And that wasn't necessarily God's plan, but it happened and it caused no small rift in Abraham and Sarah's marriage. But let me back up even further. When Abraham was 75 years old, God called him to leave his home in Babylon and travel all the way across the Fertile Crescent to the east to a land that God told him he would give him. And there he would bless him with that land and he would bless him with a child or children and he would become the father of a mighty nation who would be blessed by God that would be a blessing to all the nations. And so Abraham believed God God, and that was the beginning of faith. Abraham was our father of faith. And so all um, monotheistic religions trace their story to Abraham. The beginning of the story is with Abraham. And Abraham goes and he does what God asked him to do. And 10 years later, he's 85 years old, still no child. He did what God asked him to do. He got there. They, they experienced some, some trials along the way. And but yet he's there um, and he's not having children at 85. So God shows up again and reminds him at 85, I told you I'm going to do this and I'm still going to do this. And Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so at 85, it's like God showed up again in his life and said, this is going to happen. But a year later, no child. And at that point, Sarah says, hey, Looks like I'm not going to be able to bear a child to you. Um, Abraham, uh, let's get a surrogate. How about my slave, my servant, Hagar? People use surrogates to have children. It's not unusual even today. People will do that in certain circumstances. So Abraham did, and there was Ishmael born, but it wasn't the child that God had promised them. So another 15 years goes by, 14 years goes by, he's 99 years old, Sarah's 90 years old. I think by now they've given up on God. Right? Maybe we didn't quite hear God. Maybe, maybe we thought that God said that, but maybe we're not there. So here they are. Yes, they're, they're prosperous. They're they're, they've done well in spite of the ache inside of their heart because inside of them they always believe they would be parents of their own child. And there's always been that ache inside of them. So they're carrying around inside of them this heartache, this restlessness. It says in Proverbs that hope deferred makes the heart sick. I believe everybody carries a little bit of that around with them. I think everybody has dreams when they were 20 that aren't materialized when they're 40 or 50 or 60. Life doesn't always go the way we thought it was going to go. Life takes a turn that was unexpected and we carry around inside of us that, that, that longing, that ache that says it just isn't the way that I thought it was going to be. And Abraham and Sarah carried that ache around. But I believe everybody has that. 
And so I'm asking, what's the restlessness inside your soul? Where's the heartache that you carry around? I know a lot of couples who themselves suffer the heartache of childlessness. And you feel that God's forgotten about you. You feel maybe you've done something wrong. And, and, and if anything you could take out of this today is, I want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone. Because I think everybody carries a bit of restlessness. And that's what exactly Sarah and Abraham were feeling at this time. God had forgotten about them. But life goes on and you got to do what you got to do, right? And so they did. They kept doing what they needed to do, investing, living life, you know, continuing to grow the business, the family business. And, um, and yet back in the back of their mind, there was this shadow hanging over them. And, and so Abraham and Sarah carrying this heartache and restlessness refused to get bitter in spite of it all. And they focused not just on themselves, but not just on their disappointment, but they focused on their nephew Lot. They focused on all they needed to do day by day. And then when three strangers show up, he jumps up to focus on them. You know, it takes special people to prosper in the middle of your pain. But Abraham knew how to do that because he realized that life wasn't all about his pain, that he understood that other people had pain too. And in the midst of his pain, maybe he realized the secret is that I need to help other people in their pain. And so when three strangers show up, he says, I'm going to help them out. I'm going to do what I need to do. You see, you never know somebody's story, do you? Those strangers came up there that day. They didn't know Abram's story. Well, actually they did, but he didn't know that they did. And he didn't know their story. And you know what? Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. Look around you. Look around you. The person in front of you, the person behind you, the people beside you. Everybody has a story. And in that story, everybody cares a bit of restlessness disappointment, heartache, regret, whatever you want to call it. But you know what? You put the smile on, you get up, you help others. God knows the shadow that's hanging over you, but other people can't see that shadow hanging over you. And God knows your story. And you know what? He cares about your story. He cares about your story. And he wants to use your story. I love what St. Augustine said. God, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. And that's where we need to put our restlessness in God and say, God, take this restlessness and do something with it. I still have a reason. I still have a purpose. And so with his story hidden beneath his welcoming smile, Abraham stepped up and he began to serve his unexpected guests. And reading on in chapter 18 of Genesis, my Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while 
rest in the shade of the tree. And then when he says, my Lord, he's not using capital L. It's smaller. It's like the formal greeting that you would call anybody that you, you didn't know. Um, if it pleases you to stop here for a while, rest in the shade of the tree while the water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant, meaning me, with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said. Do as you've said. And so Abraham ran back to the tent. And he said to Sarah, Sarah, get some food together. Get some flour, mix it up. Knead it into dough, bake some bread. And then he went out to the herd and he chose a tender calf and he gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. And then the food was ready. Abraham took some of the yogurt and milk and the roasted meat and he served the unexpected guest. And as they ate, he waited there. As if, whatever you need, I'm here for you. So Abraham, what we see here is showing this Eastern hospitality at its finest. He had no idea who these people were. He gave them prompt attention to their needs. He bowed low to the ground, signifying respect and honor. He addressed them as my Lord and himself, as your servant. He acted as if it, as if it was an honor for him. It would be a favor for him to show them this favor. He asked for water to wash their feet. He prepared a lavish meal for them, and he stood by to meet their every need. Isn't that interesting that it gives all those details in the story? Hebrews 13 says that we should not forget to show hospitality to strangers because in doing so, some have entertained angels unaware. It was speaking of this story in the Old Testament. But as I was reading this this week and thinking about it, something hit me. I realized that what Abraham was doing here by showing hospitality to these strangers is what we read all about Jesus doing. Because when you think about it, Jesus bowed low when he came to earth. In Philippians 2, it says he, he came and he emptied himself. And he, and he became a servant. And, and, and scripture goes on, talks about how when Jesus was here on earth, he, he, he took the form of a servant and, and then he said, come to me elsewhere, all you who are heavy burdened and come and I'll give you rest. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Jesus said he was going to go and prepare a place for you. Jesus said that he's standing at the door of your tent, the door of your heart, and he's knocking. And if you'll welcome him, he'll come in and he'll have this relationship. He'll dine with you. Jesus stands by to meet our every needs. The Bible says the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life a ransom for many. And so I see in Abraham a type of Christ. And I see in Christ the kind of hospitality that Christ would love all of his followers to extend also. Because Jesus said, whoever shows hospitality to others by welcoming strangers in, by feeding the hungry, giving a drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, visiting prisoners, are in reality, when we show hospitality to these people, Jesus says, you're showing hospitality to me. This is what it means to be in relationship with the God that, 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 like Abraham, comes to serve and show you all the hospitality that God would want to show to you. I mean, that gives me a great picture of God, doesn't it? 
a God who cares for us that much. And so, in the midst of his own restlessness, Abraham offers rest to his strangers who visited. I think the takeaway from that is when you open the door to others, God's door of blessing opens up to you. When you become a source of blessing to others, even in the midst of your pain and restlessness, God has a way of lightening your own pain and restlessness because you're caring about the others more than yourself. So so he, he blesses those who bless others and those who want to be blessed, if they wait until they're blessed to be a blessing, they'll be waiting a long time, right? Don't you know people like that? It's like, well, when you bless me, God, I'll bless others. When I have more, God, I'll be more generous. God, when I do this, then I will be. And Abraham's carrying around this ache, this restlessness in his heart. He doesn't even think twice about getting up and being a blessing to others. And he does it. He does it. So I believe in a church that gets this is going to be a blessed church. And I believe God has blessed Riverside Community Church Because we are the kind of church that says, you know what, we're going to give up a day's wage and give it away to others and take 31, up to $40,000 we've done in the past years and said, we're going to give it to people who don't have anything. And God blesses churches that are like that. And God blesses individuals who are like that. Christmas Eve, we'll be taking a benevolence offering. In addition to your regular offering, we ask God, you know, help me to give something a great gift on Christmas Eve. And we use that as a church over the Christmas holidays and throughout the year to bless people that are going through tough times. Because we know that, 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 that it's all about being a blessing to others. And in so doing, we find God opens the door of blessing to us. And we don't, we don't do it to get the blessing. It's not like, okay, God, I'm paying you off. Now you owe me. No, it's just, it's just, the natural thing that happens when you are a person that's a giver, God gives back in so many ways. And that's what Abraham did. So it goes on, and this is where the story begins. It takes a turn, and it really, honestly, it gets funny, okay? So this is going on, and and Sarah's working hard in the tent to help prepare the meal and bake the bread and do all that. And then they have this conversation and the visitor, one of the visitors says to Abraham, where's Sarah, your wife? And Abraham said, well, she's just right here next to us inside the tent. I'm kind of elaborating a little bit. And then one of them said this. He said, I'm going to come back next year about this same time. And your wife, Sarah, is going to have a son. And Sarah couldn't hold it in. She just went, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. She'd heard that before and it didn't work out. And now she's 90 and he's 99. And you think this is going to happen? She laughs. And one of them said... And then she was listening to the conversation. She went, and, uh, and obviously it goes on and says that she laughed silently to herself, said, how can a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband is so old? I, there's so many jokes I could tell right now, but I'm going to hold back. 
Okay. Then the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh? Why does she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, and so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. I mean, it just ends right there. I'm like, I didn't say it. Yes, you did. I didn't do it. Yes, you did. Okay. And now, see, I believe that in the original language, that is intended to be a joke, and I believe that God wants us to laugh. I really do. I really do. But, you know, Sarah wasn't the only one to laugh at this. In, in, in the chapter before that, we see that um, God appeared to Abraham at a different point in a Christophany, a Theophany, and told him that he would have a child. In Genesis 17, 17, Abraham laughed to himself and said, how could I become a father at the age of 100? How can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So he wasn't the only one. She wasn't the only one to laugh. He laughed at it. But, you know, think about it. These people had reason to weep. I mean, they, they, they likely had only a few teeth left. They had bowed backs, probably digestive problems. And when God promises her that her good as dead husband, as it says in Hebrews he was, was going to be a father and she was going to have a baby, I just know that this was too hilarious for them to believe. And when the Lord heard Sarah laugh, he asked her a fabulous question. I think there's another version that says it this way. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord to do? I like that version, don't you? Not is there anything too hard for the Lord, but is there anything too wonderful? Think about that. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord to do? It's not like, God, I don't know if you can do this or not. God... Is there anything too wonderful for God? No, there's nothing too wonderful that God wants to do. God wants to create wonder in your life. God wants to bring laughter back into your world. God told them, in fact, when they have this child, they are to name him laughter. Because that's what Isaac meant. Name him laughter. Because every time you see him, I want you to laugh at the fact that you couldn't believe that there was anything too wonderful for God to do. And that's why they named him that. You see, I think too many Christians have forgotten how to laugh. We've forgotten that God created laughter. And God is a God who wants to bring laughter back into your world. Even in the midst of your restlessness, God wants you to laugh and even laugh at the, the restlessness that's faith my friends well let's, let's finish the story here and then we're going to have communion in just a few minutes here but chapter 21 it finishes the story the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised she became pregnant she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age this happened at just the time God said it would And Abraham named their son Isaac. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter and all who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would nurse a baby, said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? 
Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. She's just overjoyed with laughter. And you know, there's no greater laughter than the laughter that's just pure, unadulterated laughter. Not the laughter of cynicism, not the laughter of sarcasm, but just laughter because you're just so overjoyed at the moment, at the thing. Because God wants to restore laughter back into your life. And if there's one prayer I have for you today, is that God will help you laugh again. God will help you laugh again. Because you see, I imagine when we wake up in heaven and we realize all that God has in store for us, I think the first thing that we're going to do is we're just going to break out in laughter. Just pure laughter of joy. Because all those years we suffered, all those years we, 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 we strove and we tried and we strained and we carried around all these fears and all these worries and all these disappointments and all the restlessness and heartaches. And then all of a sudden we get to heaven and we think, oh my goodness, this is what we were all waiting for. We dreaded dying and then we get on the other side and we think, why were we so worried about this? We would break out in laughter. In fact, I love Psalm 126. It talks about when the exiles came back to Jerusalem and it says, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. We were filled with laughter. We sang for joy. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. And here's the irony of Christmas. Because I think Christmas, we always want to be happy and we work so hard to work up this joy. We do so many things to bring surprise and give good gifts to people and we love doing that, but there's something about Christmas that when we sing our songs of joy, they have a way of strumming the, string, the, the strings of restlessness inside our hearts. And the restlessness that we sing about joy, but then in the heart we're saying, but we're not as happy as we used to be. Things didn't turn out the way they once, we thought they were. And you know that feeling, right? You know, that's what, that's what Advent's about, really. Advent's about hoping in the midst of your longing. It's the carrying those two things at the same time in our life. The Messiah is going to come and God's going to bring us hope. And we long for that, but we're not yet there. And the first Christmas was the first Advent, and he came to bring that joy. But we live now waiting for the second Advent, when Christ will come again or we will go back to be with him. And so we believe in the laughter that will be, and in the meantime, we carry around the restlessness that is. We're in the now, but the not yet. And what we need to be is people of faith who live, bring the future now, by living in the laughter of eternity in the midst of our pain in the present. Now that's complicated, isn't it? But that's what God wants to bring into your life and into mine is laughter. God, I know it's not the way it will be, and I know it's not the way it should be, but God, this is the God moment that I have, and I want to laugh in the midst of it. 
And I want to believe that you brought this back into my life. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And we're going to prepare for communion as we do this. Abraham and Isaac's story didn't end after his birth. In fact, one of the craziest stories in all of Scripture happens when at some point when Isaac grows up and this kid that's full of laughter and brought so much joy into their life, he's growing into a young boy and all of a sudden God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take that boy and I want you to take him up on the mountain and I want you to do like all the other gods want their people to do with their firstborns. I want you to sacrifice them. Now that's a cruel joke. But you bring laughter into my world and then you tell me to give it up? But Abraham obediently does what God asks, thinking that this is what God wants for him. God, you've disappointed me before. Maybe I guess this is the kind of God you are. And so he takes him up on the mountain. He prepares the sacrifice. He straps his son to the fire and he takes the knife out and he's ready to plunge it into his chest and God says, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm like. Here is a ram caught in the thicket. I want you to know I'm the kind of God that provides the sacrifice for you. I want you to know that I'm the kind of God that shows up when you least expect it and intervenes in your pain, intervenes in your circumstances. And I want you to take this ram. Get your son off of that. Go down and celebrate with him, but take this sacrifice that I'm giving for you. Whew. What a lesson. But years later, God, who came down and took on the form of a servant who humbled himself, who washed his disciples' feet, who said, come unto me, all you who are laboring and all you are burdened, and I'll give you rest. He went up on the mountain, perhaps the same mountain that Isaac was laid on. And the scripture teaches us that in that moment that he said, you know, all the pain that you feel all the injustice, all the disappointment, all the sin, all the anger, all the hatred, all the ugliness that you have suffered and all the pain that you will ever suffer. And Jesus said, give it to me. Give it to me. I'll take it. I'll take it. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to nail it to the cross. I'm going to nail it there. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to kill it. God poured his love out on you by pouring his wrath out on all the evil and ugliness in the world as Jesus took sin upon himself. He didn't become a sinner, but he took that on himself. And, and in God's economy, what that does is what we're going to practice right now by taking communion. And Ricky Miller is going to come in a few minutes and walk us through that. God wants you to know that he can bring laughter back into your world and into your life because the pain, the ugliness, 
is all God's. The forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, the hospitality, the love, it's all yours. It's all yours. How many of you believe we need more laughter in our world? You need more laughter in your life. How many of you can resonate with that sense of restlessness inside of you? God knows your story. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And as I sing, feel free to step out in the four corners of the room, our communion elements. As we sing the next song, feel free to step out and grab the elements and come back to your seat and Ricky will walk us through that. But let me just pray for you real quickly. If you're here this morning and in this God moment, the spirit who is in this place is saying, you know what? I understand your restlessness and I, and, I, and I want you to welcome me into the midst of it. I'm standing at the door and knocking. Will you welcome Jesus in when we partake of communion? Babies, that's what we're doing. We're saying, Jesus, come into my life. Will you open your heart to Christ? Maybe you can pray a prayer like this. Spirit of Christ, I confess my heart is restless without you. Forgive me for the ways in which I shut you out. I need you to come in and intervene in my life. I know that you know my story better than anybody else. And Jesus, I, I don't want to live a bitter life. I want to live a better life. And so Jesus, come into this restlessness that I have and help me to laugh again and realize that the best is yet to come. You have a future. You have a plan. You want to use my story. God, I want you to use my story, even the pain of it, for your glory, that your purposes may be fulfilled on this earth until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, God, that's my prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.